Well, I don't know if y'all know, there's this, uh, there's this place a few miles away called SIU, and um, there's a lot of uh, students there. And as we're going to talk about today in the sermon, um, the gospel, the, our, our Lord with his gospel commands us to take that gospel out to the nations, to make disciples. Um, and it's interesting that uh, a couple thousand years later, there's these places called universities, and the nations come to them. Uh, and so it's this fascinating thing. It's not just about the nations, but um, one, of the, um, one of the things that struck me in that video is a student that said, we are, our eyes are open to the brokenness around us, and we've decided to do something about it. And so that's a, story, that's a, that's a promo for InterVarsity. Uh, this is um, my friend Annie McCormick, and Annie gives her life day in and day out to serving that ministry at SIU, right? So that's a, that's a picture of InterVarsity kind of I started saying nationally, but I guess globally to some extent. Um, tell us a little bit about your work and your desire and uh, hopes to see that sort of ministry fleshed out just down the road at SIU. Yeah, so I attended SIU as a student, graduated in 2016, and my life was changed by being a part of InterVarsity as a student. I became a Christian and a follower of Jesus, and it was a big part of my college years, and my growth was being a part of Christian community and being discipled. So when I was graduating, God was inviting me to stay at SIU and to work with InterVarsity. And so that's what I've done for almost five years. And our ministry, our goal is to share the gospel with as many students as possible. We want students to have real encounters with Jesus, um, whether they have known him before, if they're followers of him, or if they haven't known him yet. We want every student to have a chance to get to know Jesus while they're on the college campus. And you probably know this, college is a very formative time. You know, you're figuring out what you want to do with your life and how you're going to do it, the things that you value, how you spend your time. And there's a lot of openness. A lot of decisions are being made. Um, and so we want to offer up Jesus as another decision that can be made to follow him um, as students are being transformed and changed and growing in their lives and then being sent out um, all over the nation, all over the world to communities, to their families, to their friends, their workplaces, their churches. And we want to equip them to be able to be world changers um, as they head out. Yeah, awesome. Um, I think for me, it's something I could just forget about, the massive opportunity that, that um, exists in universities in general, and John A. is no exception, and we've, we talked a little bit about that and, as well. But um, So is this something that the church should just pray for you on, or how does InterVarsity, are, are y'all a church? What, talk about InterVarsity's partnership with churches. What is the, you know, how does that work a little bit, and how would you encourage us to um, you know, think about our role in you know, your mission, the mission God's, you know, sending people to at SIU, what you just described, how do we come alongside and how do we impact and, and, and come apart? Are you, are you a church? No. Okay. <laughs> um, we are a parachurch organization and we love the local church and believe in its value and importance for college students, even while they're at college, um, in addition to, you know, they're going to leave college, not be a part of campus ministry anymore, so need to know how to plant um, and plug into local churches. So, no, we, uh, we ch challenge and invite students to attend churches. You know, last month we were um, touring churches around the area that support us and partner with us to 
welcome students and to help them connect in various types of churches. And so um, that is one way that we've partnered, that we love bringing students here and want them to feel at home and cared for by you all, in addition to just the care that I'm able to provide during the week. Yeah. Um, Yes, uh, pray for the ministry. That is one way that you can partner for sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of brokenness on campus, like you said, and it is sometimes hard to actually face that and to um, step into it to bring hope. Um, so you can pray for that, pray for the students and the staff team as we are longing to bring Jesus's name. But another really tactic, practical way is financial support. Um, so as a missionary, I raise support to make this mission possible um, each year and pretty constantly, actually. Um, so I, there's financial need always. I'm still short about $14,000 for this financial or for the school year. Um, and so if you are interested in talking about what it could look like to support the ministry, whether on a regular basis or um, just with one-time gifts, I'm open to talking about that for sure. Thank you so much for, for coming and, and sharing. And you're going to read scripture in just a little bit, but I, I feel prompted to challenge this just a little bit more. Um, so there's students here today. There's students you brought, you brought a bunch last month in your tour. We were one of your stops and you had several students here. And so that's, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. How does the church welcome, invite, and, and do discipleship? And, and, and that's, that's part of y'all's heart is not to just do something in place of the church, but to be a particular ministry that is focused on this, this this place this, that has so many formative people, so many students and people in formative place in their life where the gospel can go. And, and here's, what I, here's what I was just thinking about. We, as people, sit and, and we, we watch the news and we can complain and we can fuss and we can worry about the direction of our world, right? We can worry about curriculum. How many of you have had a conversation about the educational direction of, of, of the world and where it's headed, right? How many of you have bemoaned the university system and, and the indoctrination that happens from whatever, right? Like we, we have these conversations and we care and we should. We get to put our money where our mouth is, okay? I preach all the time, if we're gonna be pro-life, we need to do something about it. If we're gonna be concerned about the, the shaping of the next generation, we could fuss about the institution Right? And we need to exercise our vote. We need to do what we can with that. But in the meantime, we have real-life opportunity for real-life students to be impacted by people like you and me. Like, we can actually do something about it. Annie's given her life to do something about it. Amen? I love it. There's ministry happening over there. We're invited into it. She's bringing students into our space. Um, and um, the, the labor over there is, is good. And we want to join in praying and supporting that the fruit may increase that much more. So, Annie, we, we love you. We appreciate you. I'm going to pray over you. And um, she's got some, uh, she's got a table set out in the lobby. If you got some more questions, you want to know more about the organization or how you can love on her. Annie, th this, we are her church home, okay? We are her people. She's not just, she didn't just call me and ask if she could just come and have some airtime on our stage. Uh, Annie, Annie's ours, okay? So we need to love her, support her, and walk with her as one of ours. Um, and, and there's lots of ways you can do that, okay? And, and so, um, when she's not here, that probably means she's visiting other churches to raise support and funds, but, but know that she is, she's a journey. Uh, she's with us. Okay, so let's love her and, and uh, support her accordingly. 
um, and ask her questions about how you can you know, walk with her. That's way more beneficial than just hearing it up here is to actually get to uh, sit down with you and share a little bit. So I'm going to pray and then you're going to read our scripture, right? Lots of big names in there. Just say them with confidence and I'll follow your lead. However you pronounce them, I'll do it the same in the in scripture. Okay. God, I'm grateful for Annie. I'm grateful for um, her heart and uh, her response to your call to serve uh, your kingdom, to advance it and to make disciples. I pray that that uh, her and her team would see just that happen, that fruit would come, Lord, that, um, that you would move in and amongst the, the students and uh, faculty and staff at SIU, and that, that we would even hear about revival happening there, that you would move so swiftly and powerfully through your spirit and through servants like Annie and her team who are serving um, these students in your name. Lord, we pray that you would use them, that you would um, indeed bring light into darkness, and that you would... Um, take the formative years of so many students that are over there and leverage them. Lord, rescue them and um, send them out. Um, and would you use university to that end? So we ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Like Jordan said, I'm going to be reading the scripture today. Um, we are in Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's one likely in the seat in front of you or around you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, feel free to take that as our gift to you today. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to finish up Colossians today with that passage. And uh, as I said earlier, we're glad you're here. <clears throat> and uh, whether that's the first time for you or whether you've been here since we started having services at the journey, um, we really, really are glad you're here. And I want you to, I actually want to use that to kind of launch into our sermon. I want you to think about why you're here, how you ended up here. And again, if that's if today's day one for you, welcome. Uh, and if, you know, this is year nine for you, Glad you're here. I want you to think about it. How'd you end up here? How'd you end up, generally speaking, um, coming to church on Sunday mornings in general, right? And, um, and how did you end up at this church and, and this, this body? And um, I want us to start thinking about that because 
Um, as we look at this letter that is written to a church at Colossae, I want you to think about them. Because chances are, when you think about why you're here, you considered other options, right? Some of you even been to other churches. Some of you moved to the area. I, I love talking to people when they move to the area and they sort of tour the other churches, right? To, to try to find where they're going to land. And sometimes we're just to stop along the way and they land somewhere else and that's okay. Um, but you had other options. I want you to think about them at Colossae. They, like, this is first generation Christians. So it wasn't like, this wasn't written to the first Baptist church at Colossae or the second or the third. Right? It wasn't written to the Church of God at Philosophy or to uh, the, the Methodist Church or to the non-denominational church with the cool band at Colossae. It wasn't written to the, the church where the pastor wears a tie at Colossae or it wasn't written to the church where the pastor wears skinny jeans at Colossae. Like, it was just written to the church at Colossae. Why? Because that was the church. Right? These were people who had been radically encountered, they, they radically encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their lives were turned upside down and radically changed. And a part of that new life, living in the kingdom, meant living with God's people. So they go to church. Right? And sometimes it's in people's homes, and sometimes it's in the synagogue, and sometimes it's, it's in different places, and sometimes it's in this home, and then they move to this home, and then they're this home through the week, but then they gather in this one spot. And it's, and it's crazy. If some of y'all remember our beginnings here, we were a little nomadic at the beginning of the journey, right? We were a little bit all over, right? Sometimes I'll talk to people who are like, were you that church that met in the pavilion for a while? Yeah, that was us. Then didn't you go out by the airport? Yeah, that was us. And then you were at like oh, North 37. Yeah, also us. All right, we're here now, okay? We've, we've, we've settled, right? That's a part of church planning. So for them, this is like the church at Colossae meant they gather where they can and, and it, there wasn't these options now. We've come to a, a crazy, to a different place. And it's not all bad, the, the, having those options, but uh, I got a hair like dangling in front of my eye and I can't focus, I'm so sorry. Um, I need a haircut. I'm looking a little Jewish with my curls. and um, I'll get it this week. Um, so we've come to a different place. We have options. We have different uh, denominations. We have different choices. And that's not all bad. I, I, I am not saying, like, I'm not foolish enough to think that we're going to shift back into some universal church where there's just one. Uh, and actually, I wouldn't even say that, that uh, we don't need to over-romanticize them just having one church at Colossae. Like, you can already see Paul's like, hey, make sure the letter gets to Laodicea and these other places, right? Churches or cities and, and places where there's lots of people need lots of churches so they can reach lots of people, right? That's not the point. Um, but as we reflect on it, uh, we can get, when we're, when we're in this place where we do have this, you know, kind of buffet of options of churches, we can get different motives and different um, things going on about why we're here and what our, what our hopes are when we come in. And we can shift into, whether we intend to or not, we can shift into this place where we become a little bit consumeristic, right? Where we pick our churches like we pick our restaurants, or we pick our churches like we pick our, our favorite, you know, vacationing spots or whatever. We, we pick out the things that we like. And listen, I'm not saying all of that is wrong, but it does have an impact on what we expect when we come in this door and how we act when we get in this door. And even more so, how we act when we leave this door. Okay, so today we're going to use this end of the book of Colossians, which is a letter written to churches. Written to a church, but it's actually going to be shared. It's cool, we'll get to that. I want to use this to look at what does it mean to be a kingdom-minded church? To be a kingdom-minded church, and here's why. You know what Jesus talked about? Okay, so Jesus was on earth for, for 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. Okay, that's crazy, isn't it? 40 days between him getting out of the grave, having a resurrection body, before he ascended into, into heaven, he was on earth for 40 days. What did he talk about? 
Was he like huddling up with the disciples? Like, all right, now we're going to start all these cool churches, okay? Peter, you're going to lead this one, and, and you're going to have this great man. I've already, I've already slotted it up for you, all right? And you're going to have this great building space, and you're going to fill it up. Now, so-and-so, you're going to have to go into the rural area, and it's going to take you Is that what he talked about? Was he talking about how, you know, different flavors, styles, denominations of churches? What did, what did he talk about? Interesting. Acts 1, verse 3, right before the ascension, says that <clears throat> he presented them, himself alive to them, after his suffering by many proofs. So there was multiple times which the disciples and other people, Paul would write later, over 500 people saw Jesus alive after his resurrection. Okay? And as he's doing that, he's presenting himself with proofs, and he's appearing to them 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. Speaking about the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is talking about, not this church, that church, how we're going to operate. Like he's speaking about the kingdom of God. Now the church isn't like, don't hear me saying it's not important. It is God's plan A to advance the kingdom of God. But sometimes we want to make it both the means and the end. Meaning if our church just does well, then we've accomplished the work of the kingdom. But it's actually, it's actually a means to the end. The, the, the kingdom is the end. And the church is, is what is used to advance that. Okay? Uh, this is actually not off-brand for Jesus from the very beginning. If you go back to Matthew 4 and most of the other Gospels, we'll have a point where Jesus shows up on the scene after his um, baptism, and he starts doing what? Preaching the kingdom of God. Okay? So Jesus, his whole time there, is preaching the kingdom of God. Right? We're, uh, next week, we're going to start into a, a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And that is Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. What, what does it mean that we're living in the kingdom of God? What does that look like? And Jesus preached that over and over and over again. Okay, so this is his heart. This is his <clears throat> charter. Even as you hear the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Right? That is what? That's a kingdom advancing. Right? That's kingdom mentality. We're not just staying here. We're not just content. This is going to be an advancement. And so what does it mean then to be a kingdom-focused church or a kingdom-minded church? I want to look at Paul's passage, this, this end, which is easy to skip over. You ever get to this part in the epistles and these letters and you're just like, okay, he's just like name dropping and saying hi to people. I don't know, Tychicus, right? So I don't know if I need to read this part of the Bible, right? So we can kind of like just, okay, we're about done, right? We kind of skip over it. So I want to settle in this just a little bit and draw out some just bullet points. We're going to move pretty quick. Just some bullet points of what does it mean to be a kingdom-minded church. So let's look at it together. <clears throat> the first thing that we're going to see to be a, that what it means to be a kingdom-minded church is that people are invested in and developed. Okay, People are invested in and developed. This whole section names a bunch of people. And the fact that it names a bunch of people means that people have been raised up for ministry and developed and sent out. Okay, These were not second, third, fourth generation Christians who grandma brought them to church and now they're ready to step into ministry. This is first, like the gospel is impacting people in real time. People are being called out of their sin and into life. And guess what? Paul and his team and ministers in the church, the apostles, the early, they are investing in them, developing them and raising them up. Okay, unintentionally, we, we looked at this a little bit last week where the church kind of got focused on just doing kind of, random encounter, door-knock evangelism, we sort of simplified and, and watered down the gospel to, to a place of just this decision, do you want to be in or out? When you, go to you, when you die, do you want to go to heaven or hell? And we've kind of been content to just leave people at ha having made a decision to receive Jesus and then hope they come to church. I, 
We don't see that in the New Testament. We see this intentional development and poured into people that then get, poured, get sent out into ministry, right? We, we said at the beginning of this book, if you were here with us, that the Colossian church was planted most likely by a guy named Epaphras, who was from Colossae, who went to Paul's Bible study in Ephesus, was trained up, and instead of Paul saying, hey, you know what? We could have a really cool mega church here, Epaphras. You got some gifts. You're awesome. Why don't you stay here on our team? We're doing some really cool things in Ephesus, right? We're going to set up this incredible place, and we're going to blow and go. It'll be awesome. Why don't you stay here? No, no. Paul trains him, and then Epaphras goes, I, I, I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back and tell my people about this. I want to go back to Colossae. I want to minister there. And he starts a church there, right? We, um, we see over and over again, Timothy is somebody who Paul pours into. These are just a couple examples. If you read the, the book of Acts in the New Testament, any of Paul's letters, you see all these people mentioned that Paul is bringing along. Right? And sometimes they change because he'll leave them in different cities, right? He's raising people up, intentionally pouring into them, raising them up for ministry. And you might say, well, doesn't this happen just anywhere, right? Don't all churches do that? And I will just tell you no, right? Because sometimes churches are just focused on building a brand or building a platform or building their own kingdom. And let me tell you from experience, when that's going on, when the church is worried about building up its brand and its platform, only people who can affect the bottom line right then have value to the leadership. Okay, here's what, I don't know if that made perfect sense, but if, if a church is only worried about growing itself, then the people that they're gonna prioritize and develop are gonna be people who they can leverage in the moment to make more of the brings. And they're gonna be intentionally pouring in and developing them. And that may mean that they grow up and to be a better pastor and preacher than the guy who's currently in the pulpit. You realize that, right? Like if we're being a kingdom-minded church, like God could call somebody out of our midst to be a better pastor preacher than certainly than Jordan Bird, but even than, than Darren Patrick who planted our church. Like God can do that and we, we should pray that he would. But it also might mean that he raises up people to be really quiet, you know, warriors who give themselves to the church by serving the church in ways that people never hear about. Does that, does, is one more valuable than the other? No. But as a kingdom-minded church, we're going to pour into, we're going to develop um, invest in and develop other people. You think about how Jesus raised up the disciples. Was that a microwave situation? He just called them off the street and give them a, give them a two-hour, four-hour seminar and then send them out? No, what did he do? He spent three years with them. Three years with these guys who were often hard-headed and frustrating. They didn't get it often. It's funny. You should read the Gospels and like try to humanize it. They do, they do funny things, dumb things. They say really silly things to Jesus. Like, Jesus, what are we going to do about lunch, bro? And Jesus is like, I just fed 5,000 people with a little dude's two fishes and loaves. Like, and you're worried about lunch. I, like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Give me a rock. Like, I, Jesus, like, but they're worried about it, right? They're over and over again. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. But Jesus spends three years with them developing them. Right? If you study, Paul gets saved, right? Radically so. And we kind of see him pretty quickly doing ministry. But if you lean in there, he spent some time with the other apostles. He spent some time being trained up and developed, right? The church should make space for training up and developing the next generation of church people. Not just ministers, but church people. Right? We looked at in 1 Corinthians at, at, in, in length that the church doesn't just work with having a bunch of mouthpieces, a bunch of mouths. It needs the rest of the body. Cool, the hand did this, but you know what? Without this ligament here in the elbow that nobody knows how to pronounce, 
The hand didn't do that well. Some of your ligaments, we need to invest in you. We need to develop and raise you up, make sure that you're being a, a ligament to the glory of God in the best way that you can be. Does that make a little bit of sense? I'm assuming you have a little, I'm assuming a little bit of what we've already preached on, but, but that's the heart of the church, right? That Epaphras, that Timothy, these people that are raised up into these positions, everybody that you read in these greetings from Paul at the beginning and the end of his books, of, of his letters, you should think, okay, those are people that were invested in and developed. And then, the, the disciples are the kind of the ultimate example of Jesus himself doing that. So kingdom-minded church does that, okay? A, a self-centered or a, a brand or platform-focused church isn't going to do that, right? Because everybody's worried about getting their place on stage or their, their place in the organization. I've experienced this. Whenever, whenever there's not this attitude of development, everybody's, they're fearful of the next young guy. They're fearful of the next young woman. They might be more gifted. Why? Because they might take their spot. Because what we're trying to do is, you know, advance in this organization. That's not how a church should operate. We should be developing in and pouring in and investing in people and then sending them out. Secondly, people's brokenness is redeemed and used for the glory of God. Let's look at verse 9. We see this guy named Onesimus, and he's called a faithful and beloved brother, and he is one of you. And he is sent on this team, right? We'll, we'll read a little bit more. We're just going to jump all over. But Onesimus is actually kind of the subject of the book of Philemon. Anybody read the book of Philemon? It's a really short, there's not even chapters in it. It's just a one chapter book. It's a, it's a letter and it's actually a letter that is sent along the same, like Paul wrote it, we believe at the same time that he wrote the book or the letter of Colossians and probably the letter of uh, Ephesians. He, he writes them in jail and then he sends them with this team to go deliver them to the subsequent churches, right? And so Philemon, we believe is actually, a, Philemon himself is, is a wealthy guy who's in Colossae, um, and this letter is, the letter of Philemon's coming to him, and it's about his slave Onesimus, right? And so just a real quick bio, who Onesimus is, is he is a slave. Now, we talked about slavery in a previous sermon. It was very common in the Roman Empire. Some historians estimate a third to even closer to a half of the people in the Roman Empire would have been slaves of some sort. Now, it's different than what we know of American slavery, but nonetheless, there was forms of slavery, sometimes entered into voluntarily. Sometimes not. Sometimes treated well, sometimes treated evilly, right? But nonetheless, this, this institution of slavery existed. Onesimus was a slave, and he was a slave to Philemon. And he left Colossae. He left, he, 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 what we can assume, and historians have pieced together, and from the book of Philemon, he stole money as well. So he steals money from Philemon, and he leaves, and he flees. But guess what? The sovereignty of God causes that joker to come across some guys, a Paul's team or somebody else, and that guy hears the gospel. Onesimus, on his run, away from his owner, with the money he stole from his owner, encounters some ministers, and he hears the gospel, and he gets saved. And, he, and, he, and he's transformed from this thief who is likely not a good, you know, it, you know he's not loving Philemon. Well, we don't know much about Philemon. Maybe he wasn't a good boss. Philemon's also been saved. So his owner has been saved. Now Onesimus gets saved. And guess what? He encounters Paul and Paul sends that guy back. He sends him back. And not just as a, as a slave begging for forgiveness, but actually as a brother who has been redeemed and restored. Okay. He's, he's called a faithful and beloved brother and is one of you. This is a huge statement. Uh, my, my wife is homeschooling our kids. They're talking about American history. They're talking about how oftentimes slaves were branded, right? It's not, that, that could have happened here. Yeah, I mean, this is speculation a bit, but like Onesimus might've been branded like as Philemon's slave. We, we don't know, but, but 
to be called one of you, to be called a brother, is Paul is speaking into this institution of slavery, right? Sometimes we wish the Bible would say more about it. He is saying, this guy is not two-thirds human. He's not less than. He's one of you. Amen? And he's sent back. Okay, so the kingdom-focused church is a place where people's stories of brokenness are redeemed and used. Amen? Some of you have disqualified yourself from ministry because of your past. You think that because of what you have done, you can't be used in ministry. Because, or even on the other side, because of what's been done to you, you can't be used in ministry. Onesimus stands as an example to say, no, 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 the kingdom changes everything. And as kingdom people, we need to accept, embrace, and celebrate these stories of redemption like Onesimus, right? And we talk about how God doesn't place us anywhere accidentally, right? We talk about being on mission, where you are, that that God doesn't have you working the job you work or living in the neighborhood that you uh, live in or going to your kids' sporting events that you're going to. All that's not like accidental. God is sovereign over you living in 2021 in the place you do, working where you do, neighboring where you do, recreating where you do. You think about how God, nav- like, how God orchestrated Onesimus' conversion. A slave on the run in a totally different part of the kingdom, the Roman Empire, encounters the gospel, gets totally changed, is discipled, built up, and then sent back. Now, what do you think, what kind of impact do you think his story had in the church at Colossae? You you think other slaves started coming to that church now? You think other people started being drawn to this church where where this guy's story is redeemed, where this guy has extended the hand of fellowship even though he's a slave, and this guy's even in leadership of the church? You don't think that started to be leveraged uh, amongst the slave community? You don't think that the power of the gospel started sweeping through Colossae in a different way because of Onesimus' presence in the church? So God doesn't have you accidentally. Like, be ready to speak up. You don't know who you're encountering at line at Popeye's, right? You don't know who you're encountering Um, you know, at the school baseball game or at the drop-off line. You don't know how God wants to use you. Speak up, say hi, ask somebody their story. God might be using you to totally change their life and advance the kingdom. All right, uh, uh, thirdly, people are sent. We see in verse eight that Paul, again, this is, well, Tychicus himself is being sent. He's gonna tell you all about my activities, he says. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, right? He's going back home and we're gonna see all these other people. But right there we see people are being sent. We as a church should be a people who are actively sending. What does it mean to be a sending church? Well, some churches, some people in some places are planning churches. They're sending, they're raising up and planning, sending church planners, right? We may get to that, but we celebrated the other day when we sent Caleb out. What part of what we're sending right now is young men that are raised up and, and developed here at the journey. We're sending them to go plant, revitalize and replant and, you know, lead other churches in our community, right? We've got Anthony just down the road in Carterville. Now we've got Caleb on the other side of town at Third Baptist, right? Derek Borm is preaching out in the country, I think in the Creole area this morning and praying about what, you know, where the Lord is going to have him next. Like that's, that's us sending people. We should rejoice in that. It's hard. You think I want to see those guys go? You think my heart doesn't break? I wish I, I could, you don't think I wish I had a staff spot for each one of those guys? I do. Right? But, but is the kingdom 
further multiplied by their presence out there? I believe so. And we celebrate that. And we rejoice in that. So we should be a people who are sending out. We see at Acts 13.3 that, uh, that this whole missionary movement into Gentile territory started when the church at Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas out. Right? They're worshiping, they're fasting, they're praying, and God speaks to them and says, send Paul and Barnabas out. So they do. And Paul begins this ministry that we're celebrating, that we're seeing the impact of here. The church of Colossae is planted. Ephesians has been planted. Right? We see that. That all started with a church like yours and mine, it doesn't, like, I don't think Antioch was this incredible mega church that had all the resources that we'd all be jealous of. It's just a church, just normal people. And they're worshiping, and the Spirit says, hey, that guy and that guy, they're going for me, and you need to be sending them. John Piper talks about global missions. He says, we don't have an option. We're all commanded to be a part of it. So we'll either be part of the going, or we'll be a part of the sending. The only other option is to be a part of disobeying. Then when it comes to the advancement of the gospel into the nations where people have not yet heard the name of Jesus, we all have a role to play. We'll either go, we'll, we'll send, or we will disobey. And I think he's right. I think he's right. So we as a church should be ready to send people into those places, into those spaces. We see Acts 15, 22. They're going to send some people to um, come alongside, say, send out Paul and Barnabas. Then they're going to send some more people because there's some controversy coming up. There's people coming in saying stuff to Paul and Barnabas that the church didn't actually say. They said, hey, you know what? We're going to send some people to set that straight. And you know who they send? They send their best. They send the leaders. They send, like, not just like, they don't look around the church and go, man, who could we spare? Who would we not notice? Yeah. They're only here every now and then. They just sit in the back and leave early. Let's send them. No, they're sending the people who are, are doing the ministry, doing the work. They're sending them out, right? We see this 1 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 17, 2 Corinthians 9. There is a posture of the early church to be sending. Um, Derek and I were talking this week, and, and um, we've, we've said often here at The Journey, and, and I don't think it's wrong, but, it, but a slight correction about the Great Commission. We often talk about how that word go actually is a, is a participle that means as you go, and, and I don't think that's a wrong emphasis. I don't think that's a wrong point, but I think it actually isn't the emphasis of the passage. I think the Great Commission, the word go actually means go, right? That there is actually... Uh, an emphasis on us going, being sent, leaving where we are, leaving our comfort zone, leaving where we are geographically and taking the gospel to where it is not geographically, right? There, so we don't want to, uh, again, there's plenty in the Bible to justify that as you go ministry, right? It's not, that's not wrong, but I don't want to take away from the emphasis of the go in the Great Commission, because in that, it says you don't get to just live a comfortable life. Like following the Jesus and the spreading of the gospel is going to cost us something. And there's going to be people who go. I mentioned last week that our family that we support that's in Central Asia. Like this, is a, this, was, not, this was not a guy who just right in high school wanted to be a missionary and was you know, eager to go. This was a guy who was a second generation attorney, had his firm well set up for him. His sister just led us in worship up here, Allison, right? And He's got life, like he's married, he's got kids. Things are, like he's got a comfortable life ahead of him. And he goes to a conference, hears a sermon, and goes, God's calling me to go. And he gives it all up, and he lives amongst Kurdish people now, right? So dangerous, I can't, I can't, I gotta be careful what I say. I can't say his name. I can't say, like, it, it but he gave his life for that, right? That should be common, not exceptional, in a kingdom-minded church. That should be common, not exceptional, in a kingdom-minded church, right? That we should be actively seeing people called in 
to, to missionary ministry, to vocational ministry. Like, that should be part of what we see happening here, and I'm praying that he'll do that work. I, I can't guilt you into it. That has to be the sovereign call of the Lord. To, but some of you, that indeed may be what he's calling you to. Pack up your bags, pack up your life, and go. There's people who don't even know who Jesus is. You say their na- his name, and they've never heard of it. Jesus says, they will hear. You want to know when he's coming back? He says, they will hear. They will know. They will hear. Th- those nations will know. We, and, and, and we, you and me, are supposed to be the ones sending and making that happen. So that should be a part of a kingdom-minded church, that people are being sent. Next, we see that people are welcomed in a kingdom-minded church. Paul says, this guy, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, um, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now that sounds like an obvious enough command, right? What kind of church wouldn't welcome somebody that's being sent, special guest? But I want you to think about it. I want you to think, is that true? Is everybody that steps into our doors welcome? Because in a kingdom-minded church, they should be. I want you to think about that. Some of you have experienced that. And unfortunately, I've heard from different people that came to our church for a season and then stopped. And when I inquire of that, they say, I just didn't feel like there was a space for me. I kind of felt like everybody had their groups already, and I didn't know how to penetrate that. And so they left. Now, that's, that's a tough tension to unpack there because, for a couple of reasons. Sometimes people are just looking for that. Some people are already wound that tight. They're coming in the door and they're looking to see a group and they're going to say this church is a click and they're going to leave. Now, that happens. Now, I would say quickly that comes from brokenness in them and we shouldn't be dismissive or angry at them. We should seek to minister to them, okay? But it's also tough because we want to be in community. We want, like, when you guys get here early and you're talking to one another in the foyer and, and we start this, <laughs> the, the band would tell you, it's not great to start the service the first song with like 10 of you in here. It's awkward, right? It's weird, isn't it, Ben? Y'all are not, yeah, it's weird. The rest of you are in, in the foyer or coming in late. But, so, but you know what? I celebrate that those conversations are happening in the, in the foyer. That's awesome. And when we get done with church, it's a while before we lock the doors. Why? Because people are fellowshipping and hanging out. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. And it's good that we're in community. It's good that you have your people here. We gotta hold that intention though. We don't have to throw that away to make sure that when new people come in, they are also welcomed. Because a kingdom-minded church is the difference between cliques and community on mission. Okay? A kingdom-minded church is the difference between cliques and community on mission, right? Because a community on mission can still be known by each other, can still have each other's back, can still love each other deeply and be rejoiceful to see one another and eager to hug, and eager to share, and eager to cry with one another, and yet still have our eyes open for people that don't have that yet and making a way to actively make sure that they have space to come in. We can do both, but it has to be intentional because our natural drift will be to insulate ourselves. Our natural drift will be to make sure that we're good We see new people, oh, well, I'm sure somebody else knows them. Listen, a a, a single person or a family by themselves in our church before or after should be an emergency for y'all. You understand what I'm saying? Not just for me. I'm going to get there as soon as I can, but it should be an emergency for you all. You see somebody you don't know and they're sitting by themselves early before church, you should be compelled to get off your tuchus and go talk to them. Go say hi. I know COVID's weird. It's freaked everybody out. Keep six feet, fist bump or don't. But still, go talk. Go say hi. Don't assume somebody else is going to. Sometimes this is fueled by a low view of yourself. You think you have nothing to offer. You think you don't really matter. They don't want to talk to you. 
Stop that. Stop that. Make sure people are welcomed. Make sure that you're, they're, they're welcome. You may not have anybody yourself. You may have been here for weeks and you're mad that nobody's invited you to their house. You know what? You can get up and go do what we should have done for you and invite that person to your house. Because the kingdom-minded church isn't worried about me only. We're worried about other people, right? We're looking. We're scanning. We're always trying to bring in. Those college students are here. I wonder if they're from out of town. I wonder if they've got families. I wonder if anybody cooks them Sunday dinner. I wonder when they've had a home-cooked meal, if they're just eating ramen every day. Kids, are you just eating ramen every day? I don't know. But we could serve that. Like, we could engage them. They might love to come to your home. But invite them. I can't do it for you. New family here. They got a bunch of kids. You invite them over. It'll be crazy. I know. I live in it. But you know what? It could be so encouraging for you to say, come on and bring your kids. It's okay. It's okay. It'll be so encouraging. People should be welcomed. Romans 15, 7 says, therefore, we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Listen, if you're here and you're a part of this church and plugged in, don't be so arrogant to think that you're that special that the Lord was just waiting on you to walk in here and now he's good. Listen, he's overjoyed and he's singing over you and he's thrilled and heaven had a party when you met Jesus. But guess what? He's loving you, he's developing you, and he's turning you back around and sending you out. Okay? So we never... We need to make sure that we're welcoming other people just like we were welcomed into the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on a little bit further, and we'll get to this in the Sermon on the Mount, but just a teaser, Matthew 5, uh, Jesus says, hey, you shouldn't just be welcoming to the people that you like, because even unbelievers do that. Even evil people are going to be welcomed to the people that you like. We're a part of the kingdom. We're part of the kingdom. We welcome people that may have harmed us deeply. Some of you are teachers, some of you are in law enforcement, some of you work in hospitals, and you see people in the community at their worst. Some of you are in social work, and you see people in the community at their worst. What do you do when you see them here? This is the kingdom of God. We should welcome them. But I know what they've done. I know, I've, I, it doesn't matter. You were welcomed by the king of kings, despite of all your mess. So make sure you welcome others. Like this should be kingdom-minded church. We should be welcoming to others. That's it, right? People arrive here. I want you to think about it. Are they welcome? And I don't just mean, is it like a neutral, nice place to come and nobody ran them off? I mean, are they being welcomed? People are encouraged. Verse eight says, I've sent him to you. This Tychicus, right? I've sent him to you so that he's gonna tell you how we are and it may encourage your hearts. Verse 11, we see that, that Paul is encouraged by three of the guys that are rolling with him because they are also Jewish, right? And he says, um, there, are, uh, <clears throat> there are only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So he's got, he's got three guys that are also Jewish Christians. He says, they've been with me, and they are a comfort to me. In the kingdom of God, people are encouraged. Colossians 2, 2 says... <clears throat> That, that our hearts should be knit together in love to reach all riches and fullness and understanding of the, God's mystery, which is in Christ, right? That we should be encouraged, that our hearts might be encouraged. He says it again here. Second, or 1 Thessalonians 2.11 talks about how we should be a people who are encouraging people. Some of you have the gift of encouragement and you have no idea how valuable that is, right? Some of you think, oh, I should send a text and, and encourage so-and-so. And then you don't because you think you don't matter that much. That's silly. Send the text. Words have power. We looked at that last week. Send the text. 
Make the call. Stop them. Say hi. Encourage them. The mom who's struggling with kids or with life or is here by herself or, or the dad who's trying, like, encourage them. Stop and say, hey, I see you. You're doing well. You got this. Right? It's encouraging. It's a, it's a spiritual gift of encouragement, and it's huge. I'm going up to spend time with a pastor friend this week who's, who's burnt out. He's not sure how he's going to keep going. Right? He needs, he needs his people to encourage him. I'm going to go try, but he needs his people, right? He needs, he needs you. He needs people. To, you, there's people that are struggling in their life. They need to be encouraged. This should be a part of what people experience in a kingdom-minded church, that you would be encouraged. So yet leverage that gift. Speak up. You may think it's nothing. You may not get a good response. It may not be on Facebook. Probably don't put it on Facebook. Just send a text. If you do it and then put it on Facebook, we got some, Jesus says, uh, you know, don't, don't do it so everybody can see it, right? Do it. Your right hand doesn't even know what you're left doing, right? Just do it. Just encourage folks. Encourage folks. Uh, next, people are fought for. We see in verse 12. He's talking about Epaphras. This is the brother who was uh, from Colossae, who's in Ephesians or in Ephesus, gets trained by Paul and then takes the ministry back. And it says this about him. Uh, Paul is writing, he says, Epaphras, who's one of you. He says he's a servant of Jesus Christ. He greets you. But listen to what he says. He's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness about him that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Aeropolis. Right? This is Epaphras. This is just one example. Paul himself pouring himself out. In the kingdom-minded church, people are fought for. They are struggled for. We don't give up easily. We don't bail when it gets hard. Right? We keep fighting. We do the hard work. Um, we go through hard things together. It says Epaphras loves his church. He's given himself for. He's laboring tirelessly. Aristarchus, back in verse 10, my fellow prisoner greets you. What's he mean by that? It means his fellow prisoner. Paul's not just talking in some poetic speech. Paul's in prison, and he says, hey, my boy, he's with me. He says hi. Aristarchus is a guy who's chosen to roll with Paul on his travels. Listen, Paul went some places, but it was not an exotic vacation to roll with Paul, was it? Was it? Read 2 Corinthians. Paul's like, man, I was shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been stoned to death. I've been snake bit, right? I'm in jail all the time. They all know me by name there. Frequent flyer in the jails, right? Um, it's hard to do ministry with Paul. Aristarchus says, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. The Puritans used to talk about sparrow friends, right? They're just here for the summer, right? The weather starts to turn. They're like, all right, I'm out. I'll see you next time, right? I'll see you when it gets nice again. Aristarchus says, no, I'm with you, Paul. I'm with you. We're going to fight. And we don't know much about Aristarchus. That guy might not have had any speaking ability. He might not have done anything for Paul except be there. And man, does that matter. He says, you know what, Paul? I see you. I know you're called into this ministry, and I'm with you. Whatever you need. Whatever you need. He's, he's, he's with them. He's, and, then, and then you see Epaphras is battling for them, praying and, and struggling and fighting for them. Some of you are doing that. I love it. Some of you are going through the teenage years and it's really hard and you're on your knees together praying for one another, for one another's kids. Some of you are, are living life together and I know you're struggling with that's a part of kingdom-minded church that we don't just look the other way when somebody's going through hard stuff. We step in. We step in and we struggle with, and we fight for them. We've not always done this well, right? People have gone through crisis, and you don't know what to do. Sometimes people lose people to tragedy. We don't know what to say. 
Some people go through tragedy, hard things in our life. We don't know what to say, so we don't insert ourselves, myself included. We need to be better at that, and we need to step in. You see somebody's hurting, step in. Step in. Sometimes just being there. Don't be like Job's friends that think you just got to say something. Sometimes just being there, right? Just being there, praying with them, battling with them, struggling with them, sitting with them. We need to do better at this church. Kingdom-minded church fights for one another. We suffer together. We go through hard things together. Um, We're almost done. Uh, Resources are shared in a kingdom-minded church. Um, Paul says, verse 15, he says, uh, give my greetings to these brothers. Actually, verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the churches in Laodicea and see to it that you read the letter from Laodicea. Right? Okay, so he says, hey, when this is all, when you've read it, make sure the other churches get to read it too in the area. And the letter I wrote to them, y'all need to read it here. Now, might not seem like a big deal. That's their scripture. They don't have, like, everybody didn't have seven copies of the Bible in four different translations at home to get to choose from. Like, oftentimes the church didn't even have its own copy of scripture. There's churches in China and in other places of the world, under, like, they're sharing books of the Bible. They're sharing, like, the underground church, you start reading about that. Sometimes they'll give the book of First Peter and, and, and they get to keep it for a few months. And that's their scripture. That's all they have in print. And you know what? The next time the missionary will come and he'll swap it out. He'll bring Ephesians to them and take, you know, Peter to somebody else, right? We are privileged to have this and, and not everybody has. So Paul says, hey, there's this letter. This is their, their scripture. They're, you you got to think about it. They get this letter from the apostle Paul. They're pouring over it. They're reading it. They're rereading it. They're teaching out of it. They're applying it. They're, they're, they're soaking it up. And Paul says, hey, don't hold it for yourself. Make sure you share it. Let those other churches see it. So resources are shared. We see, as you read the book of Acts and other parts, you see Paul referring in other um, letters, the, the offering that he's taken up. They're sharing resources as well. There's, um, the churches in Asia are taking up an offering to support the church back in Jerusalem because it's going through extreme persecution, right? Churches share resources. They're not hoarding. They're not looking at other churches as competition. They're not looking at other people as threatening to them, right? They're sharing resources. I'm going to keep going quickly. Um, the last thing that I'm going to cover, there's more in here, but the last thing we're going to cover today is that homes are open. In a kingdom-minded church, homes are open. We see uh, Nympha in verse 15 <clears throat> um, is mentioned. He says, I give greetings uh, to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Um, I think of Lydia also mentioned about um, the church at Philippi uh, who's hosting them in their home. This is a woman who she says, okay, we need a place to meet. Y'all can come to my house, right? She's opening her home. She's showing hospitality. Um, she's welcoming people in. This is a lost art in today's world, right? We're so busy some of y'all got 72 soccer games this week. You got no time to eat at home yourself, let alone invite somebody in. I get it. It's hard. But be intentional. Open your home. Invite people in. A kingdom-minded church has people with open homes. What does that look like? It means open homes. Just like invite people in. Have them over for dinner. Say, you know what? Our life's going to be crazy, and we're going to have to do 72 things while you're here, but why don't you come hang out with us? Sometimes they won't, right? Sometimes people are like, no, nah, I'm good. Especially when invited in my house. It's crazy in my house. You can come, come hang, right? So we should be a people who have our homes open. All right, so we, we gotta, we're going to wrap this up. But here's what, here's what I want to ask us collectively and then personally. I want you to imagine that a letter is being written and we're being mentioned. We're part of this kingdom. We're part of the story, right? I want you to imagine somebody's writing about the Journey Church in Marion, Illinois. 
What is this saying about us? Are we kingdom-minded? Are we outward-focused? Are we welcoming? Are we hospitable? Are we, are we, like, we kingdom-minded? What would somebody write about us? Right? Are we focused on the advancement of the mission, or are we just focused on our own deal, our own brand, our own church, our own growth? And then what can we do about that? And then secondly, are you playing your part? What if your name was mentioned here? What would be said of you? It's interesting, a guy we didn't talk about, um, Archippus at the end there, he gets his name dropped with a specific command. He says, verse 17, say to Archippus, hey, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received from the Lord. <laughs> Archippus gets called out in front of everybody. Hey, Archippus, that thing you know you've been called to do, do it. Do it, bro, right? He gets called out. There's another guy named Demas. It says hi from here. We find out later in Timothy that that guy walked away. That guy walked away. Because why? He loved, the, he loved the world. That's what it says in, I think, 2 Timothy. It says he, he, loved the, he loved the world. Think about where you are. Are you all in? Or are you like kind of in, but you got one foot out still? Like you want the Lord to, to handle all this part of your life. You're good with that. But there's some stuff you want to kind of keep, keep to yourself, right? Don't be messing with that. I want you to forgive me of my sin, but this one sin, like I kind of want to keep, keep it. Right, if that's you, you're in danger of being where Demas is. Are you fulfilling the ministry that's before you? Are you doing these things, or are you waiting on the church to do it for you? Are you waiting on the church to get perfect and to stop disserving you, and then maybe you'll get on board? Let's, listen, this whole deal only works when we, as the people of God, say, you know what? We are a part of the kingdom, and we're going to go forward. We're going to live this out. My church is not perfect, and if you don't know that yet, we're not perfect. I'll just tell you. You don't have to come to the membership class to know that. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm going to offend you. I'm going to let you down. We're like, we're not here because it's our favorite place on the buffet, or at least I hope not. Maybe that's what got you here, and that's cool. But we need to look a little bit further as to why we're staying. And we're going to be a kingdom-minded church. We're going to set through things that aren't our favorite. We're going to, we're going to stay whenever we get hurt. We're going to have hard conversations instead of just bailing, right? We're going to actively do the things that maybe we wish the church would have done for us. We're going to go ahead and do that for somebody else. Amen? Maybe the church didn't welcome you when you came. You know what? You should sign up for the welcome team. Not kidding. Help us be better. Help us do what we should have done. Have you played your part? Are you playing your part? What would be written about you? What would be written about us? Why does all this matter? Because Jesus saved us from death to life. This church thing, it's not just a social club. It's not just a thing to do on Sunday. This is the kingdom of God advancing. It, this is the, the kingdom of God going forth and taking people who are in darkness and taking them into light. It's taking people who are in, they're dead, they're in their graves and bringing them into life. This is the resurrected Jesus saying, hey, I'm the king of kings. I've conquered all of death. I've, I've nailed your sins to the cross. I put them to open shame. We read that earlier in the book. It's the kingdom of God going forward. Pardon is available. Healing is available. Hope is available and purpose is available. That sets us on an outward trajectory to advance the kingdom of God in these ways. We need to make sure we embody these things. We need to make sure we're actively advancing his kingdom through the way that we live our life. You have a role to play. You have a purpose to play. Don't minimize that. Don't minimize that. Jesus's blood. We're going to look at that in just a minute as we approach communion. Let's pray. Help us, Lord. Help us to not 
navel gaze. Help us to not just be happy that we're here and looking at ourselves and, and worried about whether it's our favorite songs and our whatever. Help us to go way beyond that by capturing a transcendent picture of who you are, Jesus. The only way we change into a kingdom-minded church is when you overwhelm us to take our eyes off of ourselves. Would you do that today as we sing? Would you do that today as we pray? Would you do that today as we come to your table? Would you overwhelm us with the, with the truth and the beauty and the, the holiness of you? Help us, Lord. May your spirit come and stir us. In Jesus' name we pray.